Welcome to First Mover, presented by Underdog Fantasy. I'm Josh Larkey, the Director of Analytics at PlayerProfiler.com, and you can find me on Twitter at JLarkeyTweets, J-L-A-R-K-Y Tweets. And while I have your attention, I'm going to keep doing it. I'll plug the brand new TikTok at JLarkeyTikToks, J-L-A-R-K-Y TikToks where I'm dropping several informative and slightly humorous fantasy football videos each week. Please follow me there. i not going to lie. I'm desperate. We hit the 100 follower mark recently. That's not good enough for me. I'm aiming for 200, maybe 300. We'll see what happens. This podcast episode is going to focus on player prop strategy, as well as preparation for the week 12 DFS slate. And then time permitting, I'll try to put out a small live stream or podcast episode on Wednesday, outlining that little, the little baby three-game Thanksgiving slate. I know the matchups aren't the best, and I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir, I agree. It's not the best Thanksgiving slate, but it, it is more fun if you play a little DFS with it, so I'm going to be playing that slate, and if I have some time on Wednesday, I'll be basically out of the, quote-unquote, out of the office today and tomorrow, which is why I'm recording this at 6 a.m. West Coast, but... Wednesday, when I get back, I will do my damnedest to put that out because, um, yeah, it's a fun one. There's only one Thanksgiving every year. And speaking of thanks, I mean, you didn't see this transition coming. I'm thankful for Underdog Fantasy. They're the sponsor of this show, and it's the absolute smoothest interface for all your player prop needs with their pick'em games. It's not even just football. I've dabbled in some basketball, some hockey. I have to give it up to the lady who... I got hooked on underdog fantasy promo code underworld. She actually has been doing more hockey than I have. We used to go to hockey games together early in the relationship. And then uh, we both got busy, but would love to go to more. And let me tell you, she is just killing it with those hockey props. So yeah, if you, if you're a big hockey person, they have that too. And also if you're a best ball person, I did a live stream last week. I walked through all my underdog best ball teams from this past summer reanalyzing player exposures and some really successful and then also a couple unsuccessful team constructions trying to understand how to improve for next year and you can catch that video on the player profiler youtube channel and see that despite despite my low debo samuel exposure i'm currently advancing through all the different tournaments at above average rates and i will not i repeat i will not let my whiff on Debo from summer 2021, stand in my way of best ball success. Promo code Underworld. Promo code Underworld gets new underdog fantasy users up to a $100 instant deposit match. Nice, we've got Giovanni in the chat, whose girlfriend's also making underdog picks. It's a family affair at this point. She's not even a football person. She hates watching football. Still won't watch football, but she'll make a She'll make a couple football underdog picks and then just check back after the game anxiously to see what happened. And now I'm just going to tease this, but several first mover episodes ago, I discussed the math behind correlated quarterback and wide receiver props on underdog. And I discussed the one strategy that is likely to be profitable long-term. I I talked about it in that episode. Yes, the, the, deck, is quote, the deck is quote unquote stacked against you in that if you're just casually making a few picks and have no idea about the proper strategy, you're likely going to lose some money. But I outlined a strategy that 
in the long run should be making you money. It takes discipline, but that's ultimately what we want is we want to know that there is a way to make money. I've been able to do it. You can do it too. So that episode, it's in the intro. It's titled Justin Fields Sneaky Usage. That first mover episode came out October 26th and it's only, it's about a 10 minute discussion and I break down a clear cut optimal dominant if you if you're a game theory person i outlined the dominant strategy that i have found for these underdog player props and today we're going to turn toward individual player prop strategy for these props now i'm actually going to switch to our studio for this give me one second all right i've got my coding notebook up where we're getting really nerdy early on a monday so i'm in i'm in my coding notebook So I wanted to do a study on running backs and receivers. So I looked 2016 onward. I looked at running backs who played eight or more games in the regular season, who also had 35 or more total yards per game. So 35 or more scrimmage yards per game in eight games. It's not a huge bar to hit, but I wanted to make sure that you were actually, you had some type of sample size that year and that you weren't the, you weren't the guy that was showing up on the games out of hand and getting two carries at the end of the game. You have to have 35 or more total yards game. And since 2016, past five years, 299 running back seasons fit that criteria. And I had 4,070 running back games that I'm looking at from 2016 to 2020. So what I would do is I would just figure out that running backs. It's actually really simple when you think about it. I'm just figuring out the running backs average scrimmage yards per game in that season. So how many, how many yards per game did the running back have in that year? And then I compare that to every single game log they had in that season. So for example, if we're looking at, uh, I'm going to make the numbers up here. We're just going to salivate at what Todd Gurley used to be. Let's say Todd Gurley averaged 125 yards a game in 2017. I would then look at every 2017 game log of Todd Gurley and I would see per game is this above or below 125 if that was his total yards per game average. So out of these 4,070 running back games, when I'm comparing them to that running back seasonal average, 44.3% of those games, the running back exceeded their average. So about 44% of the time, the running back, whatever their average was, they were above it, which means over 55, almost 56% of the time, I have it at 55.7% of the time, these running backs were below their average scrimmage yards for the season. So it's about 44.56. I will note that higher usage running backs, they're more consistent. You want to set the bar at, oh, sorry, not 35. You had to have 65 or more scrimmage yards a game. Now the 44.3% hitting the over goes up to 44.9%. And then the the guys hitting the under goes from 55.7 to about 55. So it goes from a closer to 44.56 to about 45.55, where about where it's about 0.7% fewer, 0.7 percentage points fewer are hitting their their under. So just a little bit more consistent once we bump the yards per game. We can bump the yards per game again to 85 or more scrimmage yards, these higher end running backs. It now becomes 45.8% hit their over per game, 54.2% hit the under. So now it's it goes from 44.56 to 45.55 to a 46.54 ratio. And then we can even boost that further if we just want to look at the elite running backs hitting 100 or more scrimmage yards a game and looking at those game logs, 47.8% hit the overs, 52.2% hit their unders. So 
They get more and more consistent, the better they are. And then if we look at these lower usage running backs, I'm looking at the running backs that are between 35 to 50 total yards per game. They played at least eight games that season. 43.5% of games that those people played, they hit over their seasonal average. 56.5% hit their under. Remember that number. 56.5% hit their under. If you, do, if you don't remember it, it's okay. I'm actually going to go back to it in just a minute. Everyone in the chat doing okay? We all, we all sort of understand. I know it's really early for some numbers. I don't even know what I just said. I hope that my coding script is correct because I'm going to be using this research pretty heavily for underdog. So <laughs> fingers crossed. Now with wide receivers, I also looked 2016 onward. I looked at receivers who played eight or more games in a season the past five years with 25 or more receiving yards per game at the season's conclusion. So you, ha you had to be at least not horrible at receiving. So if you're averaging 25 yards a game playing in eight or more games, you're probably the one, two, or three in your offense. Maybe a couple high volume offenses, you sneak in a number four. So uh, Gabe Davis last year, he was a productive number four receiver for Buffalo. I believe he had five or 600 yards as a rookie. He would be showing up in this data set. Come on down, Gabe Davis. Welcome. Even 2021, he might actually show up. He had a hundred yard game a couple weeks ago. He might sneak in there when all is said and done. We'll have to see. It's going to be a photo finish for 2021 Gabe Davis. So anyway, eight or more games in a year, the past five years, 25 or more receiving yards a game, 473 receivers fit that criteria or 473 receiver seasons. So not quite 473 unique receivers, but nearly 500 receiver seasons. I'm looking, I have 6,557 wide receiver games that I'm looking at from 2016 to 2020. We got a question in the chat. Why use 25 yards as the floor? Uh, it's a good question. I didn't have anything too scientific. I just felt like that was a nice round number for this early analysis. And then from there, I further segmented it. So I'll discuss my further segments in a minute. It's the same with the running backs where we started with 35 scrimmage yards as the base and then kind of moved up from there to see how running backs get more consistent. So it just felt like if you've played at least eight games, 25 or more receiving yards in a game, you're, you're somebody. I wanted to include kind of the, the top three receivers in an offense. But I didn't want any actual quote unquote like true backup receivers to sneak in here. So that was kind of the the thesis behind that threshold. But I agree. There is that is not the most scientific part of this analysis. That was just let's let's chop it. You can redo this analysis on your own if you want. If you want to chop it at 35 or 40 or 50 or 100 and just look at Cooper Cup all day. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say no to that if that that's your research. But yeah, we just went with 25. Good question. So did the same thing. I'm just going to figure out the, this receiver's average receiving yards per game in that season and then just look at each game log and then compare that. So just set up a little, just a little basic coding loop. So we, we rifle through these 6,557 receiver games from the past five years. And then I looked and 44.1% of these games were a receiver hitting over their seasonal average, 44.1. So then it was about 55.8-ish percent. There's a little bit going on with the rounding precision and because I'm looking greater than or less than. So there's some instances about 0.1% of the time where a receiver has literally to the first decimal point, their receiving yards on average for that, for that season they had in that game. So it happens occasionally, but just think about it kind of like 44%, 56%. So 56% of the time, these receivers are under their average. And the way to make sense of that again, intuitively 
uh, let's say that a, a receiver has, all right, we're actually going to do, we'll do live math. Oh God. All right. Let's say that a receiver has a 25 yard game. Then they have another 25 yard game. Then they have a 50 yard game. Then they have another 50 yard game. So they have a 25, a 25, a 50 and a 50, two 25s and a 50 for receiving yards. And then they have, they have their big game. They got a big touchdown, 100 receiving yards. So 25, 25, 50, and 50, and 100. That is 250 receiving yards over five games. That's a 50 receiving yards average. How many games were actually at that average? I know it's a terrible example. It's early. It's on the fly. Two of those games are at the average. We'll throw those out. However, think about how that there was that 100-yard game that was higher than their average of 50, and there were two games, those 25-yard games, below their 50. That's an example of a skewed distribution where, because of a big game, a receiver would have more games below their average than above it. So that's why it's 44%, 56%. It's because receivers kind of get there on some big games. Now, if we set the threshold at 45 or more receiving yards a game, the 44.1% over jumps to 44.9%. So essentially uh, one percentage point more consistent in quotes. Essentially, the, the bigger your role in the offense, the more consistent your receiving yards are. And the more normal looking your distribution is in that as you become less fringy, you have fewer big games to small games and that you just have more games that look pretty close to your average. We set the threshold if we want it 65 receiving yards. Now another one percentage points added. It's now 46, 54%, 46% hitting their overs, 54% hit the unders. And then if we want to go one step further and look at yards per reception, now, I just decided 16 yards per reception. Let's call that a field stretcher. There's not, it's pretty rare to be an alpha wide receiver in the NFL with 16 or more yards per reception, right? Off the top of my head, the only guy I could think about the last five years who I knew had been over that was, I know A.J. Brown, at least A.J. Brown's rookie year. I'll always remember this. He had over 20 yards per reception. It was just bonkers. He broke long ones after long ones. So A.J. Brown here would technically be a field stretcher, but for the most part, if we just look at receivers from this sample, 16 or more yards per reception, 43.4% over, 56.4% under. Again, a little bit of precision, 0.2%, just goes to if they hit their average, I didn't count them over or under. So 43.5 over, 56.5 under essentially. So that that is the most volatile group, is the field stretcher, which makes sense that most of the time they're going to be under whatever their average is. Because they'll have two or three big games as a field stretcher and a dud nearly every other week. So you want an actionable example. I mean, we'll see what the line ends up being, but you can pretty much bet your bottom dollar that after 123 receiving yards on Sunday, whatever Marquez Valdez-Scantling's new player prop is for week 12, it's probably going to be a lot higher than last week and uh, probably going to take the under because he's the type of profile of a receiver that's going to have a ton of duds. I mean, think about it. None of you start MVS in fantasy. He's pretty much a best ball exclusive play. And I think we all kind of think that because he's probably getting you two to three fantasy points a week, except for his 20 fantasy point weeks, which you don't know when they're going to happen. And they happen two to four times a year. So essentially most NFL player stats are going to be fueled in part by the bigger games. Most players will have a couple big games that boost their averages across the board. All right, we're getting some some thank yous that make sense in the chat. I'm glad this was this was a heavy intro, but I think it's really interesting, at least to me. And I thought it'd be interesting to all of you as well. 
Now, let's do another coffee sip, and then we're actually going to discuss this in relation to the underdog fantasy actual odds and payout structure to figure out what we should, what contest should we be playing? Because hint, you can't just take this info to the bank. We still have to be disciplined about it. So for those of you that are new to underdog, this will be news to you. For those of you that play underdog, you knew this. If you do a pick two, the payout is 3x. Say I pick, I don't know, we're going to fabricate some numbers. Say that I pick um, Tom Brady over 250 pass yards for week 12. That's not his number. Don't worry. His number's higher. Let's say Tom Brady, I pick over 250 pass yards, and then I pick Devontae Adams under 90 receiving yards. If I get both of those correct, I have to pick them together. I 3x my money. I put in $20. I walk away with 60. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to focus probability-wise on the two optimal groups because what, what I've identified with my research is that there's both running backs and receivers that fit the bill of being a little more quote-unquote predictable in their unpredictability each week and that these unpredictable backup or pass catching running backs the 35 to 50 scrimmage yards group and these field stretching receivers the 16 yards per reception group you don't like to start them in fantasy I don't either they're really unpredictable you just never know when the big game is going to happen and that's why we leverage that by pounding the unders on that archetype of player and if, if we don't know any better and just don't we don't know any info about the game. Just take those unders. Sure, there might be more factors we know with research and we say, oh, the, this is truly a J.D. McKissick game because of the matchup and this and that. And I think that it's actually pretty likely he hits his quote over. Sure, we can start to think about it more. We can get smarter with it. But at a very simple level, if you're just the the quote unquote, the dart throwing monkey who goes, oh, field stretching receiver. Oh, Pass catching, backup, running back, oh! And you just take some unders and just start firing them off. It looks like historically you'd you'd get your unders correct 56.5% of the time. So what I did is I ran 100,000 simulations where you have to choose two. Probability of getting each right is 56.5%. So I'm going to assume zero correlation between these two props. These are two totally independent players. Who knows what teams they're on? 56.5% chance that they're going to hit that under. We're betting unders. So if you do the pick twos, you need to win one third of the time because you 3x your money when winning. But after 100,000 simulations, I determined, unfortunately, you would only win about 31.7% of the time doing this strategy. That's under 33.3%. So ultimately, another way to put it, say that you did 100 $1 pick'em lines. You put $100 on, or you put, you took $100 and you did 100 $1 pick twos on underdog you're probably going to leave on average with $95, which is less than hundred. You're going to lose, you're going to lose a little money. Sorry. That's probably not a good strategy. It's also why I've started to shy away more from these pick twos. The pick two payout structure is actually not optimal. Now, before I finish with the threes, fours, and fives, where there is some money to be made, we're actually, well, we'll just let that, I don't know if you can hear it on my end. I, I think I mentioned before, I live next to a fire station, fire trucks going off. There we go. Now, before I finish, all the research and analytical coding for this episode was done in R. That's a stats programming language. I use it every day for work. And if you're interested in learning analytics concepts for either fantasy football or the workplace, I teach a course using football data sets to teach you analytics. Prior to working full-time at Player Profiler, I coded an R for the Detroit Tigers on their baseball analytics team, for the San Diego Padres on their business analytics team. 
as well as a consulting project for Southwest Airlines. So these are not just football-specific skills. I've, I've done it in football. I've done it in baseball. I've done it in the business side for a sports team. I've just done it on the business side for Southwest Airlines. I have enough varied experience to know that these are fairly universal concepts and that if I'm teaching you analytics and R coding, that you can actually apply that to the workplace if you want to level up at work or if you want to switch careers and start to pivot to an analytics job. R is a very in-demand skill. And if you want to learn R coding from me, you go to thatrcodingsite.com, the letter R, thatrcodingsite.com. Use the promo code FIRSTMOVER, all lowercase, no spaces, first mover. promo code FIRSTMOVER, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. I assure you that I'm not, I'm not peddling some expensive course. This is something that I truly believe in. When I made this a year and a half ago, I just tried to put as much knowledge of mine as possible into a course that you could complete in two to three months. I even tested it on my, my now friend, Aaron. He, he didn't know anything about coding and he was interested in uh, getting a little bit more involved with analytics. So I said, what if I try and teach you R and I have this course built and we're going to go lesson by lesson. And you know what? Three months later, after every lesson, Aaron knew how to code in R. And that's when I knew that I had a legitimate product on my hands that I felt very comfortable promoting, very excited about. So we, I've had a few hundred happy students at this point, and I'd recommend it. ThatRCodingSite.com. It's pretty much guaranteed to be the least expensive way to both enjoy coding and learn it. The course is only 75 bucks. 10% off, now you're in the mid-60s. I, I think it's a pretty good deal. I actually get told to raise the course price. It might happen, so be, beware, but not yet. Anyway, back to underdog. So a pick three, it's 6x if you win. Once again, I did 100,000 simulations. So let's say that you placed $100. You did it on one on 100 $1 pick'em lines, and you did all pick threes. So we did $1 on this pick three, where it's three running back receivers in that archetype under. You would likely leave not with $100, not with 95 but with 108 or $109. Wow. Suddenly we're plus EV in the long run. And it's because... The pick three of 6x, it's actually just way better odds than a pick two of 3x. It might not necessarily make full sense, but I'll give you the, the super cliff notes version on how you can kind of understand why a pick three 6x is better than a pick two 3x. So if you have to pick two at 3x, two makes three. Two times one and a half is three. Two times one and a half is three. A pick three 6x, three becomes six. Three times two equals six. So before it's two times one and a half equals three. Now it's three times not one and a half, but two equals six. So right off the bat, there's a little intuition there as to why pick three might actually be better. And sure enough, you're likely leaving with 108 or $109 on average when I run all these simulations when you start with your hundred. So congrats. It's not really a one in six chance of winning. We're starting to narrow it down to about one in five and a half chances you win better than the six X. The pick four, it's 10x if you win. So if you pick four random players and you say, take my unders, each one has a 56.5% chance of hitting historically. This is a little worse than the pick three. Did 100,000 simulations. Uh, from my simulations, you get around $102 when all is said and done. And these numbers, they might change by 50 cents here or dollar there. I'm just running simulations in R. It's very simple. I teach you how to do it in lesson five of my course. Very simple code. I'm not really a probabilities guy. In terms of some people off the top of their head, they understand the probabilities and like, oh, choose two and do this and do that. I'm not that advanced. 
and I don't need to be when I have R. So I, I basically just, I'll teach you how to do it. You can set up really easily these quick little loops, 100,000 simulations, figure out how to simulate the probabilities you're trying to simulate. So in this case, a pick four, where each of those individually has a 56.5% chance of hitting, the code is really short. So that one, it's still profitable, but not as profitable as the pick three. Finally, before we dive into week 12 DFS, the, the big finale is the pick five, where you 20X your money if you win. I did 100,000 simulations. It's the best one. Place 100 $1 picks. You pick, you do 100 pick fives, put a dollar on each one each time. You're going to leave with not $100, but 117 on average. Instead of winning one in 20 times like you need to to break even, you'd be 20Xing your money one in 17 times. If you chose five random pass catching, running back, and field stretching wide receiver unders, one in 17, not one in 20. And in case you're wondering, the odds that five totally random 50-50 picks hit is one in 32. So that's where the rake comes in. The rake is, it's if it's all fully uncorrelated like a lot of people out there do, if they were truly 50-50 picks, that's one in 32. Way worse than one in 20. Notice that being just, just applying a little touch, a little touch of intellect and going, oh, no, no, we're just gonna, we'll just take unders on the pass catching running back type and the field stretching receiver. Suddenly we made that, 1 in 32 problem where you have a 1 in 20 payout, a 1 in 17 payout on average. And just a reminder before we keep going, it's not guaranteed you're going to profit. I Some weeks I lose money. Most weeks I am making money. I'm up I'm up a lot of money on the season with underdog. Uh, we'll see what it, we'll see what it's at end of season. It's around uh, 4,500 up on the year. So we'll keep that going up. And I believe that my process is proof that it can be done. Honestly, most of my picks don't require advanced math. I'm not, I don't have like a, I'm not whipping out a calculator and some R code every single time I make a pick. I make dozens and dozens of picks a week. And most of them are with these types of heuristics where I just know the types of players and the types of strategies I want to execute. And then I go for it. So it's not super time consuming. And at least with me, I've been able to sustainably make money. So I know it is possible for you. I think the hardest part, honestly, is discipline. Because I know that many of you, who aren't profitable will listen to this. You'll think, oh, sweet, I have a good strategy. And then you'll see a tasty over and you start taking tasty overs willy-nilly and you're probably going to lose money. So don't do that. All right, one more sip of coffee. We're going to put my shade down a little bit. My goodness, the sun is coming up. Actually, no, I look too pasty white. We're going to we're gonna keep the, the sun coming in, beaming. It's hard to see. Hard to see my skin complexion. You won't know how many hours I've I've been away from the sun coding. Someone told me to clean the neck beard. Sorry, I cleaned it a few weeks ago. No one seemed to appreciate it. Cody saying context is the main thing. Underdog doesn't have every number. That's very correct. You will not have literally every team's field stretcher or pass catching type running back. Not every team even has that. So each week you might only have, uh, I don't know, four to 12 players that fit that bill come Saturday or Sunday. So you you have to be discerning. Thank you, Amar, for the offer of DFS help. Uh, you can always shoot me a DM on Twitter at JLarkyTweets if you're interested in potentially getting involved. Not much that I can give people right now as uh, potentially either volunteer or paid opportunities this moment, but once the NFL season ends, definitely. We'll be looking for it. We will be trying to hire some type of other heads in some type of capacity once the season ends. So so be on the lookout for that. Ramon, you might take me up on the course. Sounds good. Well, we'll see. It's not going anywhere. All right, one more coffee sip, and then we're going to get into the, the Week 12 slate. We're going to pump this one out. There's some fun games here. All right, the Week 12 NFL slate. So 
we're looking at the main slate for Sunday. Yes, I know there's the, the Thanksgiving, there's three games. We're going to be looking at the 10-game main slate on Sunday. If you missed the, earlier in the stream, I said, time permitting on Wednesday, I'm out of the office right after I finish recording this and Tuesday. Wednesday, if I have time, I will get to that stream to break down this very intriguing Thanksgiving slate. Anyway, we'll just start at uh, one of the main events, Tampa Bay at Indianapolis. Buccaneers at the Colts, 51-point game total. The Colts are nearly field goal underdogs at home. I like both sides of this. The the Colts defense is kind of like a bend-but-don't-break, which that's often gold and PPR, especially with a high-volume team like the Buccaneers when it's passing. And then the Buccaneers are just practically, pretty much them and the Chargers are, they're very intelligent franchises. And, or sorry, unlike the Chargers, who are, I think, a very intelligent franchise with how they've set up their defense, where they say, hey, passing's really good. Scores a lot of points, gets a lot of yards. We're going to make you run. The The Buccaneers are opposite. It's kind of, I get they have a really talented front seven, but in many ways, it seems counterintuitive to the modern NFL because the Buccaneers are like, hey, please pass against us. Even though that's where most of the yardage, better yards per attempt, per play, that all comes in, whatever. Buccaneers, great matchup to target for the passing offense, so... Could it be a Jonathan Taylor game? Yes, but I'm, I'm a fan of some Brady and Wentz stacks this week. And every week that Brady's eligible is Brady double stack week. Keep that in mind. All right, we're putting the shade down. The sun was too strong. Ugh, you're just going to see my, my white complexion. Next game, the Jets at the Texans. 44-point game total. The Texans favored by about a field goal. Their impressive, uh, their stunning win over the Titans. It's propelling them. It looks like... Vegas thinks the Jets and the Texans are similar talents. The Texans get minus three at home. Not very interested in this one. Maybe a couple of pieces. Elijah Moore got that one right. I told you, if you're ever going to bet an over, you got to bet the over on Elijah Moore. Joe Flacco and Elijah Moore had incredible chemistry. We'll get to that shortly. But not very interested in stacking those games. Next is the Eagles at the Giants. Currently seeing a 46 and a half game total. The Giants are three-point dogs at home and I think we can play both quarterbacks on this one Hertz is a little priced up so he's not as appealing as some other weeks after his big three rushing touchdown week what do you know they price him up so I think he, you can play him but I like Daniel Jones again I just really like these gross boomer bust quarterbacks he's kind of like Justin Herbert ultra 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 light where Daniel Dimes is probably gonna get you 10 fantasy points but every now and then he gets you 25 to 30 and can help you win a tournament next we've got the Panthers at the Dolphins Really low, 43-point game total. Uh, looks like the Dolphins are one- to two-point underdogs at home. Not a game I'm super interested in. Very low game total. Cam Newton was fine. He got three total touchdowns. But we saw that this is it's a Cam Newton's a very low-volume passer. I don't necessarily expect the Dolphins to force him to push the pace at all or really challenge them. So not necessarily a game that I'm heavily looking at right now. Next, we have another one I'm not super interested in. It's the Titans at the Patriots, 44 and a half game total. Patriots favored at home by nearly a touchdown. My goodness, did you know that the Patriots, they're in first place in their division with a rookie quarterback. It's it's fun to see. I'm not even a Patriots fan. I'm just a fan of innovative football. I like what they've done with a rookie quarterback. And they've, I was a little worried preseason he didn't have enough weaponry. I was wrong. It looks like they've actually... Surrounded Mac Jones with a system that he can succeed in. And it's it's cool to watch, but not very fun for DFS. Don't really love stacking either quarterback in this one. Next is the Steelers at the Bengals. 
46 and a half game total. Bengals favored around four-ish. So a little over a field goal favored. I'm not going to recommend these Big Ben stacks. The arm is shot. I mean, we saw it. We saw it last night on primetime. Big Ben is so bad. And he's just not the type of quarterback I'm going to target. If I'm going to target this game, it's on the Burrow side. Because I think there's just really easy stacking partners. And I think Joe Burrow's actually good at football. So we'll probably have some Burrow stacks. But likely not a game that's I'm going to be too exposed to. Though we did see one worry though is Burrow's going to be really popular. Since Justin Herbert just absolutely shredded that Steelers defense on Sunday Night Football. So maybe a little recency bias there. We'll, We'll see what happens. Maybe Burrow will be popular. Next game is the Falcons at the Jaguars. 47 and a half game total. Falcons won about one point favorites on the road. That's hard to see when the Falcons have been so bad the last two weeks. Fortunately, they're they're getting the, the cake of the cake. They're facing the Jags. And I, I like Matt Ryan in this one. It's a good bounce back spot for him. And I think his, his, his stacking partners are pretty obvious. It's consolidated. We'll see if Cordell Patterson plays. I hope he does. It'll definitely help out Ryan. Jaguars time is just not that interested in these Jaguar stacks. There were several weeks I was aggressively targeting them because Trevor Lawrence, incredible prospect, throwing a lot of pass attempts, very mobile. It just hasn't translated week after week. This is just a very raw offense, even against the 49ers on Sunday. A very bad pass defense. They still shut him down. The Jaguars are in trouble. Next up, my, got the jersey on, Herbert, my Chargers at the Denver Broncos. 49-point game total. Chargers favored by a one, two points, it looks like, on the road. Not super interested in Teddy Bridgewater because this is a run funnel defense with the Chargers and not really that interested in the Broncos running backs because it's still a committee. As much as many of you don't want it to be a committee, I've posted about this in my Twitter threads that I do on Tuesday or Wednesday each week where I break down each team and I always focus with the Broncos on the running back room. I'm sorry. Basically just a 50-50 split. There's no real edge and carries, red zone work, routes, run, targets. Melvin Gordon and Javante are pretty equally involved. This is kind of gross for DFS on the Broncos side. So definitely like those Charger stacks. Not even sure off the top of my head if I'm going to always require a run back on the Broncos end. But yeah, like those Herbert stacks. And we'll get into the Chargers prices are pretty, they're pretty good for double stacks. We'll get into that shortly. We got the Rams at the Packers. Pretty decent 50 point game total. Packers about one and a half point favorites at home. And I was well on my way to making a ton of money in DFS yesterday. I was, I ended up being above the field on Jonathan Taylor. I thought Jonathan Taylor was going to come in with like 10% of the field playing him. And I was pretty confident I'd be below the field at like 6 to 8% Taylor. Then I found out Jonathan Taylor was going to be 3 to 4% played. And I was like, oh, screw it. I'm going to keep my 6 to 8%. If he's that low, I'll just be above the field on him. I thought he was going to be kind of chalky after his recent stretch. So killed it with Taylor. I had a lot of Justin Jefferson, like the the stars were aligning. I was really in on Brandon Ayuk. So of course, like I do pretty much every week, I faded Aaron Rodgers because he's non-mobile. They are the absolute 32nd, the last paced offense. They are the slowest offense, non-mobile quarterback. He had an injury, I believe it was to his toe. He wasn't practicing for most of the week. Why was this an Aaron Rodgers week until it was? And I think the, the one thing I can pull from that, it's not like I'm going to, just totally recalibrate and say, oh, fuck it. We're pulling, <laughs> screw it. <laughs> no, no, no. Aaron Rodgers stacks every week. Pound him up the gut. You lose once. Huh. Shame on me. <laughs> Never gonna lose again to Aaron Rodgers. No, I'm not like that. If I was, I probably wouldn't have my, my current job. I try to stay grounded in numbers and I try to stay realistic. 
I got burned by Aaron Rodgers. I, like, what am I going to do when he throws for like, what, almost 400 yards and four touchdowns without even that high volume? Oh, well. But I think it brings up a good point, which is something that maybe I was theoretically underestimating at times with a team like the Packers or a team like the Vikings, where they're actually not very pass heavy, but they're very consolidated offenses. And you know what? I think there is, maybe I don't always give that enough credit, that the consolidation is really good. I knew Alan Lazard was out, so that meant Marquez Valdez-Scantling, probably a bigger role. Not that I saw his 100-plus yard game coming. It was one big reception. We know that those are pretty fluky when they're going to break a long one. But it's the general idea that consolidation means something. And that for some quarterbacks, think think Mac Jones. You have no idea what's going to happen. Who's going to get the touchdown? Is it Brandon Bolden? Is it Ramondre? Is it Jacoby Myers? Is it Nelson Aguilar? Is it Hunter Henry? Is it Kendrick Bourne? Is it Jonu Smith? I have absolutely no clue. But with the Packers, we know pretty much every week is Devontae Adams week. And then uh, sometimes it's Scantling or Cobb or Lazard. You can pretty much narrow it down to Adams and then just pick one more Packers receiver. And I think that type of consolidation, it's kind of nice. So there is that advantage to being able to guess correctly as to which players are going to go off. So I'll give Rodgers a little more credit. Still not a guy I'm heavily targeting, but as I'm thinking about it, I'll play a few Rodgers stacks in week 12. I'm not going to play a lot, not totally overcorrecting, changing the process, but I can understand a little bit more the idea that, you know what, consolidation in the offense and better chance of getting it right should count for something. And then of course, on the Ram side, Stafford double stacks. Often the way to go. Though Cup, very expensive. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Final, the 10th game on the slate. Vikings at the Niners. 48.5 point, decently healthy game total. Niners favored by almost a, a field goal. I think this is a good good game to target. Sort of for the consolidation purposes, actually. So uh, neither defense has played well against the pass, which is good. So it's two like bottom 10 pass defenses. And the Vikings, very consolidated. It's Cousins, it's Jefferson, it's Thielen, it's Conklin. The Niners, very consolidated. We got Jimmy G. And then his pass catchers are Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. So I think I'll play a little bit of this game. Very consolidated. All right, let's dive in now to the actual players. Starting at quarterback on DraftKings, Tom Brady's at the top. The GOAT coming in at 7,600 at the Colts. I've already told you, I like it. I play Brady doubles every week. Any week, he's capable of four touchdowns and 300 pass yards, which means two of his receivers are going to get there in DFS. Stafford, 7,100, Green Bay. That's interesting. Going to be playing some Stafford. He had two bad games, but then he had the bye. I assume he and McVay are going to figure out what went wrong and correct it. They're also going to be able to integrate Odell Beckham into the offense more. And then my man, Justin Herbert. The reason I'm up this year in DFS, all my tournament uh, takedowns and high finishes this year are due to Justin Herbert, the myth, the legend. He's 6,600 at the Broncos. He just, he shredded the Steelers. 30 of 41 passing, so completing a ton of his pass attempts. 381 pass yards, three touchdowns, nine rushes for 90 yards on the ground. Sneaky Konami in that game. And Herbert, I said Daniel Jones was uh, Justin Herbert, ultra, 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 ultra light. Justin Herbert is Justin Herbert regular. He has four games now with 30 or more fantasy points this season, yet five games under 20, which keeps his seasonal fantasy points average down. That is the perfect large field tournament quarterback for DFS. Next, Carson Wentz, 5,800 against Tampa Bay. It's a pretty good price tag for someone facing a pass funnel defense. Jimmy Garoppolo, 5,700 at the Niners. It's kind of nice now that Kittle's back. He's been playing a little better. Sorry, Trey Lance. Until 
the 49ers are actually mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, I do not think we're going to see Trey Lance. I'm just putting that out there for all you wish casters. It's not going to happen. Garoppolo quietly is now at 8.3 yards per attempt on the season. That's very good. 12 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio. He's not making too many mistakes. He's moving the ball down the field efficiently. 5,700. Oh, sorry, not at San Francisco. He's he's at home facing the Vikings. I don't know why I said he's at San Francisco. I mean, he is at San Francisco, but he's home there. Anyway, then the next, Daniel Jones just talked about him. 5,600 against the Eagles. I think it's really big for him that he's getting Saquon back. Defenses play them a little bit differently when they have a more legitimate backfield threat. They'll have Galladay, Tony, Slate, and Engram. It's kind of a motley crew, but it's something. And we know that Daniel Jones can make something out of nothing. He's been doing it every four to six games throughout his career. Terrible offensive line, often below average weaponry. It doesn't matter. He's going to have a few big games every now and then. So 5,600 against the Eagles, going to play a little Jones. Cam Newton's price didn't go up that much. Even when he played pretty much every snap, had three all-purpose touchdowns. He's only 5,600 at Miami. That's interesting. I like Matt Ryan, 5,500 at Jacksonville. 10 days rest, bad pass defense. Going to play some Matt Ryan. More on that later. Uh, FanDuel, Jalen Hurts is at the top. Wow, the massive price correction after three rushing touchdowns and 30 fantasy points against the the Saints on Sunday in week 11. 8,400 on FanDuel at the top at the Giants. And there's not really like a super good quarterback values on FanDuel for week 12, honestly. There was one guy that stuck out as like the only quote unquote value I saw. It's Joe Burrow. So Joe Burrow is the seventh most expensive quarterback on DraftKings this week, but on FanDuel, he's 7,100, which is the QB 13. Joe Burrow, QB 7 price-wise on DraftKings. QB 13, just behind QB 12, Teddy Bridgewater on FanDuel. That is egregious that Teddy Bridgewater is more expensive than Burrow. Burrow's probably going to be pretty popular on FanDuel, but it's a good it's a good price. All right, we'll turn to running back. DraftKings, Jonathan Taylor's at the top. 9,100 against the Bucks. Can't say I love that price tag. If he's, I'll say it again. If he's popular, he's coming in at 10%. Uh, the field is playing Jonathan Taylor. I'm going to try and be below that. Probably going to have 6, 7% Jonathan Taylor, ideally in my 150 lineups. So if he's 3% played like this past week, I'll be over the field. If he's moderately popular at 10%, I'll be a little under the field. Just don't love the matchup. I just hate trying to like ride these hot streak running backs because I don't know if that's a thing, this this hot streak. So who knows? But yeah, he's 9,100. I like McCaffrey. He's 9,000 at Miami. McCaffrey is just such a cheat code. You're pretty much locking in a running back that's either going to help you maintain in a tournament or help you in a tournament at only 9,000. So I think he's just a nice way to bank some points. Uh, Dalvin Cook, he's 8,100 at the Niners. The, the Vikings are an above average offense. Cook's usage is so good. He had another 22 carries and four targets in week 11 after 24 carries and five targets week 10. We're still waiting on the monster fantasy points game. It could happen this week. Dalvin Cook is just getting usage unlike almost every other running back in the NFL. Joe Mixon, 7,500 against Pittsburgh. The Bengals offense is just cooking in terms of getting the ball to the goal line. And Joe Mixon keeps punching it in. 25 or more DraftKings points, four of his last five games. The Bengals have been disappointingly run heavy, but their offense has been decent and that's benefited Mixon. And then we'll see what happens uh, later tonight on Monday Night Football, but oh my God. Saquon Barkley is 6,300 versus the Eagles. 6,300, what the hell are we doing? It's a PPR platform. 
It's Saquon Barkley, 6,300. Wow. Next, A.J. Dillon. His price basically the same as last week, 5,900 against the Rams. He had he did really well. He had a huge portion of the backfield touches in week 11. 11 carries, 6 targets, 15.7 fantasy points without a touchdown. That's, that's pretty good stuff right there. Dillon, 5,900 versus the Rams. On the other end, Darrell Henderson, 5,800 at Green Bay. He's had back-to-back clunkers, but the whole offense struggled in those games. Now he's off the bye. I like Darrell Henderson here. He also had a pretty large share of the backfield touches in his last game. Jeff Wilson's 5,300 versus the Vikings. You might say, Josh, take the L. You made a TikTok even about Jeff Wilson. You and Mike gushed about him on the big tilt. I'm sorry. If I told you that $5,000 Jeff Wilson in week 11 was going to get 19 carries and two targets, you would be playing a lot of Jeff Wilson. Sure enough, he got 19 carries and two targets. He just monopolized that backfield. He just didn't have the fantasy points. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. I'm going to play him again in week 12. And then Miles Sanders, 5,100 at the Giants. The Giants are a terrible run defense. The Saints are not. And in week 11 against the Saints, Miles Sanders, 16 carries, 94 yards. That's six yards per carry. He also had a target. Miles Sanders is still certifiably good at football. He is a good running back. He is the starting running back there. There are chances that he gets a lot of carries and that they do feed him like his 16 in this past week. And it's nice for him to finally get the Giants. It just, that's a cake run defense. And then, ho oh, oh, Ty Johnson, come on down. I'm not going to victory lap the injury. Potentially high ankle sprain for Michael Carter. That sucks. What I will quote unquote victory lap though, is that my goodness, I have like a hundred best ball teams with Ty Johnson that I took in round 18 on underdog. And it's because there were a lot of running backs that were one injury away. And I didn't know, like, I didn't didn't know Michael Carter would get injured or whatnot, but I knew that he was one, potentially just one injury away from getting a massive workload. And I knew that he would probably have standalone value many weeks, even if there were no injuries and you got him round 18. And most players like that, you had to pay up around 12, 13, 14 price. But because Ty Johnson was on the Jets, even though he's an ex- he's a, an explosive athlete, he failed at round 18 over and over again. So we'll, we'll see what the coach speak is. Tevin Coleman had more carries than him this past week once Carter went down. But still, Ty Johnson, only 4,300 at the Texans. He's had multiple 20 fantasy point weeks in his career. And he quietly has 38 targets, 25 catches, 271 receiving yards, and two receiving touchdowns this year. Ty Johnson is potentially an all-purpose back at 4,300 at Houston. And then Tevin Coleman, don't want to mention him, but I will. He's 4,000. I hope and think they'll give Ty Johnson a healthy workload, but you just never know with these NFL teams. Though Tevin Coleman is just, this is not a high ceiling player, so maybe he ends up being a kind of a cash game play at 4,000. We'll, we'll see, but... Don't expect to play a lot of Tevin Coleman in tournaments. Probably going to play a little Ty Johnson at 4,300, though, in tournaments. Turning to FanDuel, Jonathan Taylor's at the top, 9,800 versus the Bucks. Then we've got McCaffrey, 9,700 at Miami. Great price there. I like that McCaffrey's not the most expensive guy, even though you can just bank those 25 or more fantasy points. Dalvin Cook, all the way down at 8,100. Significant drop to him from JT or CMC. When I'd argue Cook's ceiling is also slate-breaking. A.J. Dillon, 6,900. Nice. First, the Rams. Good price. Jeff Wilson, still down. He's only at 5,800. Like him on both platforms. And then Ty Johnson, 5,200 at Houston. He is less expensive on FanDuel than Tevin Coleman. That is good on FanDuel. All right, let's turn now to receiver 
Cooper Cup on DraftKings, they priced him up. I don't really want much part of him anymore. It's depressing to say no to the Cup, man. He looks more like a potential just cash gameplay. I'll play a little bit of him in tournaments, but really hard to see a 9,600 at Green Bay. Cooper Cup getting there for DFS. But you drop down quite a bit. Uh, Keenan Allen, 7,400 at Denver. 11 plus targets his past three games. Evans and Godwin. I don't think Antonio Brown's returning yet. It's sad. Evans, Godwin, 71 and 7,000. So 7,100, Evans, 7,000, Godwin at the Colts. Godwin, especially these these big slots against his own defense, he's going to feast against the Colts. Deontay Johnson, 6,600 at Cincinnati. 6,600 for Deontay. Is Big Ben's arm that bad that Deontay, who's had 13 targets in four of his past five games? That's not a, I didn't misspeak. 13 targets in four of his past five games is what I'm looking at right now in the game logs from what I saw. Maybe it's too early and I'm blind, but wow, 6,600 at the Bengals. Then we have, we got big Mike Williams, 5,700 at Denver. And I think that's, that's actually, we're finally at a price where I think you can more realistically consider taking down a larger field GPP tournament with double Allen Williams stacks with Herbert. Now that Allen's 7,400 and Williams down at 5,700, I think it's doable. And actually last night, they, they kind of both got there. I think both were 20-ish or more fantasy points. And then Herbert obviously had what? I think had 30, 37, 38 fantasy points on DraftKings. Next, Elijah Moore, 5,600 at Houston. I told you, take the over. I don't take a lot of overs, but Elijah Moore's over. We had to take that. And he smashed it. 11 targets, eight for 141 in a tutty. Also one carry for 15 yards on the ground against Miami. He now faces Houston. I think he's going to shred them again, whether who whoever the quarterback is, Elijah Moore just cannot be denied. He was a breakout finder darling. Get the app. Man, Elijah Moore. We got Michael Pittman. He's down at 5,600 against Tampa Bay. He's had a few disappointing games recently. Maybe it coincided with T.Y. Hilton's return. Maybe it's a small sample. Maybe it's just that they were feeding Taylor. Who knows? But he's only 5,600 against the Bucs. And in what should be a high-scoring game, I like Pittman, especially as a nice run back with those Brady stacks. Brandon Ayuk against Minnesota. He's 5,300. He's back. Whoa! Brandon Ayuk getting the 20-plus percent target share the last few weeks. Whew, he scared me for a second. He's back. No worries. We're good. Brandon Ayuk, still elite for all the age-adjusted metrics. He's going to be just fine. Year two, he looks, again, like a force to be reckoned with. Odell Beckham Jr., 5,000 at the Packers. And after the buy, I hope he's more integrated. It's a very inexpensive DraftKings price tag to take a gamble on potentially the wide receiver two in L.A. I mean, if Woods was 5K, we'd be just pounding Woods at 5K. So OBJ, who I think by a lot of advanced uh, metrics in terms of getting open, is better than Woods at this point right now. Only 5K. Marquez Veldes-Scantling, 4,100. He had 10 targets this past week, four for 123 and a touchdown on Sunday. And I think that's a decent price if you're looking for one complimentary uh, boomer bust field stretcher, especially with the 10 targets. Probably going to do nothing this next week, but... It's encouraging that he's had some high target games the past two years. FanDuel, Cooper Cup at the top, 9,500 at Green Bay. So he's actually more expensive on DraftKings than FanDuel, though. Even though FanDuel, you have 60,000 salary instead of 50,000 like DraftKings. But anyway, Cooper Cup still almost a price prohibitive number. 9,500 though, a little better than DraftKings. And then if his chest injury isn't too serious and he plays in week 12, AJ Brown, 6,800 on FanDuel. That's just so tempting against New England. Gonna be, I, I just play AJ Brown a lot every week that he's healthy because we know what his upside is. 
He's a big play threat. He's been heavily targeted this year when on the field. 6,800. And then Odo Beckham, 5,800 here as well. Can easily see a two-touchdown game in this offense. 5,800 at Green Bay. All right, let's turn to tight end. We're almost done with the show. Tight end, DraftKings Kittles at the top, 6,400 against the Vikings. We got Kyle Pitts, 6,100 at Jacksonville. Gesicki, 5,300 versus the Panthers. Goddard, 4,800 at the Giants. Gronk, 4,400 at the Colts. There you have it. There's five high-end tight ends. I don't like a lot of these cheaper tight ends this week. It's either the price or the matchup. There's a lot where I'm going to play a little bit of them, some stacks with the quarterback, but there's no cheap tight end where I'm just screaming at the rafters like, play this man and do your fast. So I don't know what some of these voices are. It's early in the morning. FanDuel, George Kittle's at the top, 6,700 versus the Vikings. And then I actually, there's two cheaper tight ends I like on FanDuel. Cody in the chat's going to like this one. It's Tyler Conklin and it's Pat Fryermuth. They're both 5,300 on FanDuel and they they both have pretty good uh, red zone goal line type roles. So you just need a touchdown to get there on FanDuel with half PPR scoring and no yardage bonus. Conklin and Fryermuth both 5,300. The sexiest part of the show, the defense special teams work. I'm Josh Larkey, your premier defense special teams analyst. At the top of the slate, we've got the Patriots at 3,900 against the Titans. Not super interested in 3,900 Patriots against the Titans off. Like, what? Whatever. There's better values. We got the Eagles, 3,200 at the Giants. Daniel Jones, very turnover prone. Eagles defense been playing decently well. But I think it's a really good week on DraftKings to go budget defense special teams. And there's four of them at 2,500 or below that are screaming values. The Jets defense faces Houston, 2,500. Jets defense. The Falcons defense faces Jacksonville, 2,500. The Texans defense faces the Jets, 2,300, and the Jaguars defense faces Atlanta, 2,200. So right there, the, that Jets, Texans, and Falcons-Jacksonville matchup, all the, four of those defenses are 2,500 or lower. It's all offenses that have had multiple games this year where they struggle, so I think there's something there, and they're all priced up more on FanDuel. So DraftKings, a little slow to update, potentially some budget chalk defense, but it's better than a chalk expensive defense now on FanDuel the Patriots are at the top again what, what what's going on with the Patriots is recency bias just because they had a big game on primetime against the Falcons who didn't have Patterson or Ridley whatever they face the Titans 5,000 uh the the cheap defense I like on FanDuel is the Dolphins they're they're more they're a lot more expensive uh relatively on DraftKings but on FanDuel the Dolphins 3,400 against Carolina Carolina Panthers have not been a great offense this year outside of those first couple games where Darnold was lighting the world on fire before Pumpkin Darnold returned. And now, one more sip of coffee. And, oh, Ben Cole's hopping in. Jonathan Taylor slammed the under with a laughing emoji. I'm going to go ahead and say Jonathan Taylor slammed the under. No laughing emoji. It's the Bucks defense. I just, how can you be betting Jonathan Taylor these 115 and a half total yards props? I know that I've lost money the past two times I've bet against him, but that's still a sample size of two with me betting against Jonathan Taylor. So Jonathan Taylor doesn't own me. It's just, I'm 0 for 2. It's a small number. And if Jonathan Taylor gets another 120 yard total yards prop against the Buccaneers, the, the clock's going to strike midnight at some point. And I, I roll with the probabilities. It's not like I'm a Jonathan Taylor hater. Got a lot of Taylor and dynasty. I'm above the field in underdog best ball on Jonathan Taylor. Thanks to everyone overthinking it and making him a mid to late second round pick for a while there because of Quentin Nelson. So thank you for that overcorrection. 
I mean, yes, I, I dropped Taylor in my rankings too when I thought Wentz and their best offensive lineman might miss the start of the season. But it's not like I dropped him to the, out of the second round like some people did. So yeah, I've got a lot of Taylor. I'm very happy. We love him. Playerprofiler.com exists for players like Taylor where we say, hey, this guy is can't miss. Look at the metrics. Look at the college production. Look at how his target share in college was better than Clyde Edwards-Alaire. What are you doing? Anyway, here's, here's the hot take. And this is, here's the quarterback. After a gauntlet of pass defenses faced the past four games, he faced the Panthers, number two in DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. It's one of the, the best advanced defensive metrics. Panthers, number two against the pass. The Saints, number 13 DVOA against the pass. Then the Cowboys, number three against the pass. Then the Patriots, number five against the pass. Three top five pass defenses and the number 13 Saints. Finally, Matty Ice, Matt Ryan gets the Jaguars. And the Jaguars have a surprisingly stingy run defense. Number seven, DVOA. But the Jaguars pass defense, however, after after Matt Ryan faced number two, number 13, number three, and the number five pass defense, Matt Ryan gets the Jaguars who are ranked 30. First, they're just handing teams passing yards and passing touchdowns. And Matt Ryan boasts the number 12 accuracy rating on playerprofiler.com, courtesy of our game charters. And that's where our game charters, our team is led by Cody Carpentier, and our team of game charters are going to watch every single play multiple times. They're going to be looking at different offensive formations, who's going in motion, what the, how many defenders are in the box, yada, yada, a lot of, just a lot of. A lot of really good stuff. I don't know why I said yada yada. It's probably because it's just it's just too exciting. But anyway, these game charts, they watch every game and they're going to chart every single pass's accuracy. So it's not like they're just box score watching. They're like, oh, 10-yard completion. They're actually going to let you know, did the quarterback throw up behind the receiver? Was it actually a completion in stride? And Matt Ryan, his accuracy rating from the game charters, number 12 in the NFL. Matt Ryan's still certifiably good. And when Matt Ryan is 5,500 on DraftKings, after two bad performances, after top two top five pass defenses, oh, he burned you for two weeks. Forget about it. And play Matt Ryan as your tournament winning quarterback against the Jaguars in week 12. 